Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. No, no, no. Your eyes are not playing tricks on you. Michael and Michael have not gotten this good looking. I am Ashley Nicole Moss, and I am taking over the show from my guys, but I couldn't do it solo dolo, so I brought along somebody who I know pretty well, Christian Winfield in the building. Christian, what's going on? Long time no see, and that's sarcasm, by the way. Long time no see. Listen, <laughs> it's it's summer degrees outside, Ash. I know you feeling it in Florida. I'm feeling it here in New York. I mean, what a time, right? First of all, first of all, first of all, I live in Miami, now Florida. Let's make right. let's make right. the separation. <laughs> the two totally different places. But it is hot in the world of sports, specifically basketball. So much to talk about from summer league to all of the drama with a team that you know very very well the brooklyn nets so we're gonna dive right into that because there's just so much to get into first and foremost one of the biggest stories the brooklyn nets went ahead and tried to adhere to kevin durant's trade request and they reached out to the minnesota timberwolves allegedly per vincent goodwell and brooklyn wanted carl anthony towns anthony edwards and four draft picks for kevin durant and the timberwolves looked at the phone and said yeah, it's a no for me, dog. Go ahead and break this down. I mean, what's what's going on with this situation? It was a little bit of an asinine ass, but I mean, it is Kevin Durant, but eh, you're not going to go ahead and give up your future for that. Well, well, you have to understand from the Nets side of things, I mean, if you've got Kevin Durant, you're not about to trade him for pennies on the dollar. You know better than that. But at the same time, you know, shoot for the moon, aim for the stars, however you want to word it. The Nets were trying to get the bag. And in this instance, the bag was consistent of Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, first round picks. Of course, the Timberwolves are going to say no to that. And and this is where the Nets find themselves right now. You have a star who doesn't want to be there anymore, mm. but you're not trying to trade him for less than what the market value is. You saw what, what the Jazz got for Rudy Gobert. I mean, four picks. You got a bunch of different role players. Hefty. The Nets want that times two but our team's going to be willing to give up those players, those assets, when if you right. trade those players away, that might remove you from the contention of, of getting to a championship. So it's tough for the Nets. It's tough for the teams that are involved. Uh, I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Absolutely. This is one of the things that, you know, was a flag for me when we were first informed that Kevin Durant wanted out of Brooklyn. I said, yeah, on paper, any team wants Kevin Durant. It's Kevin Durant. I've been, you know, an advocate. I've made no secret about the fact that I believe he is the greatest basketball player in the world right now. I stand by that statement. But he also comes with a very hefty price tag. And I don't think that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be able to strong arm teams the way that they might have maybe a few years ago. There are a lot of teams that have gone through the rebuilding era and are in nice situations. They're contenders. They're on a trajectory to continue that, if not get better. A lot of young teams, you know, a lot of front offices have invested heavily into these young teams. You look at teams like the Suns, you look at teams like the Timberwolves, you look at teams like the Boston Celtics who have gone through the trenches and the motions of, you know, the dark days and now they're starting to reap the benefits of it. And yes, any team could use Kevin Durant. Let's not, you know, make a crazy statement like nobody needs him. 
but are you willing to pay the price tag? And I think Brooklyn is going to have a very hard time finding a team that's going to be willing to pay what it's going to take to get Kevin Durant. You know who needs Kevin Durant more than any other team in the NBA right now? The Brooklyn Nets. I mean, we we have a reason to talk about the Nets right now over the last three years. If Kevin Durant leaves, I mean, you're, you're talking, number one, going from championship contention to play-in tournament contention. And number two, you're, you're going from dominating headlines to kind of being forgotten. Think about this. I mean, we've spoken about this so many times, Ash. The Nets actually have that depth that they've been looking for. You've spoken about them having a top-heavy roster when they had James Harden. They made that trade. You get back some pieces, and now you see the signings that they made this summer. You get T.J. Warren. You get Royce O'Neal. You're looking for other pieces to put around. You know, the Nets have a legitimately deep team, which is why I penned that piece for the New York Daily News. Anywhere the Nets trade Kevin Durant, they're going to have to give up significant compensation in the form of players and assets. If Kevin Durant decides to stay, you look at the roster around him and you're saying, hey, we're a legitimate big man away from maybe really competing for a championship. I think the best thing for everybody is to just stay in Brooklyn. But I feel like there's been so much damage done with the way the Kyrie Irving negotiations have gone. And now you got a guy in Kevin Durant who wants to leave. I don't know if him staying is even possible, but I think that's the best case scenario for both people, for both sides. Right, and and look, I don't blame Kevin Durant for wanting out of Brooklyn. This is not a player who has just kind of, you know, half-assed his way through this sure. time in Brooklyn, right? He's given everything that he has to give. He's come back from multiple injuries, and he has dealt with a lot off the court that a lot of other players of his caliber have not had to deal with. You look at the James Harden saga, you look at the Ben Simmons saga, you look at the Kyrie Irving saga, and he's handled it with grace and he's handled it, you know, being reserved and not, you know, trying to take away from what happens on the court. But it has to be draining. It has to be frustrating. It's not what he signed up for. There were multiple missed opportunities in the playoffs. He does not have an additional championship that I'm sure he thought he would have by now when this whole team was first constructed. So I don't blame him for being unhappy and wanting to leave. He's 33 years old, like I said, has fought back from multiple major injuries. And although it is Kevin Durant, father time is undefeated and that window gets smaller and smaller every single season. If you don't make a move and you don't make one quick enough, it could be, you know, the bad end of your career that you don't want. So I'm not upset with him for wanting to leave. And also, Brooklyn's going to have a tough task. Like I said, it's a high price tag. And then there's this unspoken rule in the NBA. When certain players want to trade, you're supposed to adhere to that. It's an unspoken rule. If a LeBron James says, I don't want to be here, you trade him. Anthony Davis at the time, when he was traded out of New Orleans, you make that happen. Kevin Durant is in that caliber. You can't hold him hostage. But like you said, Brooklyn's not going to take him for pennies on the dollar. Let me ask you this, though. There's been a lot of conversation about Kyrie Irving, who is part of this whole equation. And maybe you can feel like maybe one of the reasons why Kevin Durant is unhappy when it comes to the basketball aspect if Kevin, if Kyrie Irving rather was to be traded before Kevin Durant, does that change KD's mindset on wanting to leave Brooklyn? Um, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure we get to a point where Kyrie is dealt before KD. I, I think that you know this is going to be something that plays out in in a domino order fashion. The Nets are going to move KD 
and then they're going to find a way to move Kyrie. I think Kyrie ultimately works his way to the Lakers just because it doesn't appear from things that I've heard that other teams are interested in, in taking on A, his contract, and B, just the drama that comes with him. I mean, say what you want about him on the floor, spectacular player. I mean, everywhere he goes, it just seems to be drama that follows him, and some of the teams just don't want it. I will say this, though. You brought up James Harden. I mean, he looks like the smartest man in the room right now. I mean, he got out of there at the <laughs> trade deadline, and now he's sailing off. He's in Philadelphia. They got P.J. Tucker. They got pieces. You're looking at the Sixers, a team that might be really competing, knocking on the door of a championship. And in Brooklyn, we don't even know if they're even going to be competing for a championship. We're talking about maybe building a Nets team around Ben Simmons and pieces. Ben Simmons just came off back surgery, hasn't played in a year. Um, and, and But at the same time, if you're getting the same type of Ben Simmons that you remember from two years ago, we're talking about can defend anybody on the floor, make plays for all of his teammates, athletic, can dunk on anybody. That's one of the selling points for just run this thing back. If you're Kevin, if you're Kyrie, if you're Sean Marks, Josiah, you came a half an inch of Kevin Durant's shoe from actually winning a championship two seasons ago. You have the core, you have the team in place, you know, just try to put water under the bridge. Let Run this thing back. You guys have a chance to do something special. Speaking so. of, of Joe Sy, I mean, it, it was public on Twitter, as likes normally are, that he and his family were liking a variety of tweets that were yeah. not speaking fondly of, you know, his current players. And by current, I mean Kevin Durant and Kyrie <laughs> Irving for the most part. Um, does that leave a bad taste in your mouth if you're either one of those guys that, look, we didn't construct this team. We didn't, you know, force you to do anything. You knew what it was when you signed up. You knew that we were going to cost a lot of money. You knew there were a lot of egos. You took that gamble anyway and hoped that it resulted in a parade. It didn't. Is he kind of, you know, throwing a grenade and then walking away like he didn't have anything to do with it? And can that situation be rectified? I think on one end, there is, you know, a legitimate case to be made that as an employer, you have to have requirements of your employees. A Kyrie Irving suiting up for 103 games over the first three years in Brooklyn. I mean, any front office, any team owner would have gripes with that. But at the same time, as you mentioned, you knew what you were getting into when you brought Kyrie. And Kyrie is the reason you have KD. And having those two is the reason why you're knocking on the door of a championship every single year as long as they're there. You've got Nets fans now who are season ticket holders that bought tickets because they saw KD and Kyrie on the promotional material, and now you might not have either of them next season. That shows you where the fan base is right now. There's some fan, there's some Nets fans who still believe in Sean Marks in the front office because, of, as you've seen, they've, have, they've had a track record of developing talent, of, of drafting players late that end up being good. Um, but at the same time, you're not getting that same star power as you have with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And we know it's a star-driven league. If you don't have the stars, good luck beating Boston. Good luck beating Milwaukee, Miami. You know, th there's no way the Nets can come out of this after trading KD and Kyrie and come out a better team. And, and that's where fans are frustrated. The Nets have sold championship or bust, and now it looks like they're just, you know, about to throw it all away on purpose. Well, the net, the Knicks ain't looking too bad not right about now, huh, <laughs> Kevin Durant? It oh looked sweet goodness. when it was sweet. Now it's not so sweet anymore. But, you know, we'll obviously touch back on this more. We'll have Chris Herring and some other guys within the NBA on the show later on. But I do want to get into, speaking of star power or lack thereof, depending on who you ask, Baker Mayfield is on the move. This week, he was officially traded to the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers will pay $4.85 million of Mayfield's salary. The Browns will pay $10.5 million. And then the remaining 18.8 will be in incentives and things like that. 
the Browns received will receive a fourth or fifth round pick in 2024. So not even next year's draft, the following draft for Mayfield, and that's going to be dependent on his playing time. Now, it's going to be interesting because the Panthers still have Sam Darnold, and it's been said that they have no intention on trading him. And they also third round in this year's draft drafted Matt Corral. But I know Baker has to be happy, even though he's going to have to go ahead and fight for that starting position in training camp. He didn't want to be in Cleveland. Everything going on with Deshaun Watson, how that trade went down, how they acquired him, Rap, just it's just been chaos. He did not want to be there. The fan base didn't want him there. At least most of them, the front office made it seem like they didn't want him there either. So the situation's got to be better than what he just came out of. 100%. You know, I, I want to see Baker Mayfield get kind of like a fair shot in a way. I feel like he hasn't had that since he's been in Cleveland. But at the same time, you know, he's got to have to earn that, right? They're not just going to hand him that starting quarterback position. Um, and are, are we expecting the, the, the Panthers to be competitive in terms of making the playoffs this year? I don't think so. So who knows, right? We'll see what, I mean, what Baker Mayfield is able to do. But I, I, don't, I, don't have my, I don't have my hopes high. I'm not going to lie. Crazier things have happened, but I think the more interesting, you know, factor of this entire trade is we still don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. We still don't know what that suspension will look like. We don't know how long that suspension will be if he does end up getting one. So the Browns will now be paying two quarterbacks that one is no longer on the team and two, the other one may not see playing time for the entire season, half the season, if not longer. If you're the Cleveland Browns, you have to be looking at yourself in the mirror like, all right, what what just happened here? Like, how did this go so wrong so quickly? I, we could tell you how it went wrong. Why would you even trade for Deshaun Watson, right? Like, you knew that this was going to come, and, and you kind of just took it anyway, and, and now you're ending up in this predicament where you don't even know who your starting quarterback is going to be uh, a few weeks from now. I, I mean – that they they got what they deserve. I'm I'm we're gonna let it leave it at that. Cleveland. I mean, we'll see you at week ten when if if and when Deshaun Watson actually plays. We don't even know if he's ever gonna play this season. Um, yeah, no, nah, that's on them. I, I mean, who who could have? They should have known this was gonna happen, right? I mean, listen, the right the writing was on the wall. But before we cut and go into break, I want to ask you, how realistic is it for you that Baker Mayfield wins that starting job in Carolina over Sam Darnold? Oh, man, you know I'm a diehard Jets fan, and I want to see Sam Darnold do well. But hey, you I think didn't do right by Sam. You we didn't, didn't right and that's, that's on us, right? I, I thought Sam Darnold had a little bit more to give, but I think Baker Mayfield has a little bit more star power than, than Sam Darnold. So I think it's just going to come down to training camp. You know, I, I, I'm going with Sam Darnold. That's the Jets fan in me. I, I think that he has a lot more to show than what was on display. And, um, you know, I, I think he's going to win that, that starting job, so... Sorry, Baker. Maybe next year? Who knows? Listen, I'm in agreement with you there, but as we've seen from the Carolina Panthers, they are no stranger to benching quarterbacks who don't do well enough for them. So Baker Mayfield may see that starting job sooner rather than later. But we still have so much to get into in this show. We're only 15 minutes in, so you guys do not change that channel. Go get a snack and come on back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
We have breaking news here. Shams has reported that James Harden is taking a $15 million pay cut for next season that allows the 76ers to elevate their roster with a sole focus on a championship run in 2023. Hear that, Brooklyn Nuts? Championship run in 2023. Harden opted out of his $47 million player option and now plans to sign a new two-way deal. Bring in to the I'm bringing into the equation my Sports Illustrated alum and Arthur author see that author of one of the <laughs> best books I have read this year Blood in the Garden Chris Herring in the building what is up Thank you for having me and for the the really pleasant introduction I appreciate you One of the best books I have read this year one of the best sports books i've read you know my entire life if you guys have not checked that book out even if you're not a knicks fan if you're just a basketball enthusiast historian you will love 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 what chris did with that book but guys let's react shams james harden taking a 15 million dollar pay cut showing that he is not the selfish player that a lot of people have tried to make him out to be what do you guys make of that chris i'll start with you i i, I think it's a nice framing uh he was always kind of, I won't say always, but for the last few weeks, it's kind of been reported that he would take something in the low to mid thirties um, for next season. It, it's, I mean, he, he did not play well at the end of last year. If it was injury, if it was a lack of enthusiasm, you know, each time from Brooklyn when Kyrie was out and, um, and obviously Kevin Durant was hurt to then the situation where he goes to Philly and then Embiid is out because of, uh, you know, basically got his face broken. Harden ended up being the guy. And the whole reason he went to Brooklyn, part of it at least, was so that he would not have to be the guy. So for whatever reason, he looked poor last year. He didn't look good. He's starting to age. So the longevity play for somebody like him at that point is on some level uh, an opportunity to kind of prove that he's worth more than what he showed last year. Um, And also as he's starting to get older, to kind of get someone that will commit more years to him for less money. Um, more years at still 30 plus million a year is better than one year of 47 million. And then for us to see that he's not good anymore. I don't think that he's not good anymore, but he did take a really bad step back last season. So this is an opportunity for him to kind of guarantee and lock himself into more money if he wants it that way. Um, and yeah, I guess you could view it as being generous as well, but uh, I, I think this was always kind of the most realistic step for him as opposed to just opting into a one-year deal. You, you know, you, you Michael, hit it right on the head James, right there. James, Hart, James Harden is fresh from Michael Rubin's all-white party in the Hamptons. You think he said a little something, something on the side, like, hey, let me talk to you real quick. I, I know we're at a party, but let's, <laughs> let's talk some business real quick. I need you to take a pay cut because you didn't show me what you needed to show me. And if you show me what you need to show me, then we can go ahead and reassess this later down the road. Let's go have a drink. We'll talk about this later on after the fourth. <laughs> no, they they didn't need to have that conversation. The, the film speaks for itself. I mean, we're talking about a $15 million pay cut. James Harden could have signed for the mid-level the way he was playing. I mean, we're talking about a, a two-time uh, MVP player who just kind of like fell off. And we saw it happening in Brooklyn, you know, but, you know, some people will say, okay, well, he didn't want to be there. He was dogging it. No, he came in out of shape. We saw him turning the ball over uncharacteristically. Field goal percentage was poor. And then you thought that a change of scenery would improve those numbers. And it was just inconsistent. I think as soon as he got to Philly, you started seeing some of those numbers pick up. And then you started seeing them taper off again. Um, Obviously, I was joking about mid-level. We all know what caliber player James Harden is. But the idea that he's being generous by giving 
giving back 15 million. No, that's about market value for a player his age who's clearly being worn down right now. Um, I'm interested to see what version of James Harden we're going to get this season. Are we going to get the one who we remember attacking everybody, getting to the rim, hitting step back threes? Or are we going to see the guy who we saw in Brooklyn, we saw in Philadelphia this year, which is that facilitator who wants to get everybody else involved? I hope for his sake we see a very good mix of the two different James Hardens we've seen because that team is going to need him to be aggressive if they're going to win a championship this year. Let me pose this question to the both of you. We look at the saga of James Harden from last season, right? And Brooklyn, there was a lot of chaos on the court, off the court. Obviously, Kyrie Irving, the part-time player thing, it went ahead and affected the chemistry of the team. Kevin Durant was dealing with injury and things like that. James Harden, as you said, wasn't in the best of shape. But not, them not being able to play together was probably a huge catalyst in the reason why that team did not work at the speed in which it was intended to work, right? But then you go to the 76ers and you have a couple of glimpses of him where it looks like him and Embiid automatically have a better chemistry. But again, wasn't a lot of time to go ahead and get that implemented either. Then Joel Embiid gets hurt in the playoffs. James Harden now has to carry the load with a team he's not familiar with, with a system and a coach he has not been in. Does having a full season change your opinion on what James Harden will be able to do? Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, covering the Nets and, and realizing how important training camp was for them and them not having it, not having Kyrie Irving for that training camp, you know, that kind of derailed their season. Having James Harden in a training camp, having this roster full in training camp for Philly, it's going to work wonders for them. I think it's going to help everybody settle into their roles. Uh, I think we still got to figure out whether even Tobias Harris is going to be part of this team moving forward. Um, but once that roster is set and you've got everybody in training camp, now you're going to have everybody just understanding their roles, understanding their position on the floor. Um, I can't wait. I want to see what the Sixers look like because, to your point, Joel Embiid and, jo and, James ha and James Harden on the floor together, I mean, that's a duo made in basketball heaven, right? You got the, the perimeter threat. You got the post threat. I mean, who doesn't want to see that? But we just want it to work. Chris, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you think that this is something that can go further than what we've seen, which has just been, what, a second round, that's it? He's way, he's weighing his options. He's uh, not believing yeah. point yet. <laughs> I, I mean, for, I, was gonna, I would say for the sake of the show, I'll just take the opposite stance. I, I think the opposite stance is kind of the one I would take naturally anyway, though. Uh, maybe we can attribute the struggles last year to the fact that the free throw, not the free throw rules, but the obviously the the rules that related to kind of trying to draw fouls intentionally and uh, initiating contact that that was going to really impact somebody like him and a Trey Young or a Luka Doncic and stuff like that. So he wasn't getting to the line as much. Uh, he struggled just, you know, he throws up a lot of junk a lot of times trying to get foul calls. So he was missing a lot of those shots trying to draw fouls. He just didn't look great to start the season. You know, if it was injury or just being slowed and hampered by certain things, uh, if it was that Kyrie wasn't there, whatever the case was, he went to Philly and looked good, like you said, for those five or six games where they were untouchable. And then he kind of came back down to earth. But who can forget the fact that when the playoffs rolled around, yes, some of it was on his own, particularly in that Heat series when Embiid was out. But even once he came back, Embiid said, we, we kind of need more from James. And, you know, as much as I really want to believe in Philly, as much as I really want to believe in James Harden, the playoff boogeyman, I, I wouldn't even call it a boogeyman where it's a real thing for him. It's just not a stage that he generally performs really, really great on, at least in the latter stages of the postseason. I do think their roster around him is improved. Um, 
I'm curious to see what happens. Like Christian was saying about, is there another move that they make? Is Tobias Harris part of this team? If he's not, he's got a massive salary that you're going to probably be getting a couple of things back for him that maybe fit the team better. So it's possible. I just don't know if all of it would be because of James Harden. If they take a step forward, he would be a part of it, but I don't know if he's the biggest reason that they would make the jump forward. I think this roster around him is improved. I want to go to the top of the pyramid for a second and talk about Doc Rivers because it was reported toward the end of the 76ers season that Doc Rivers and James Harden did not have a good chemistry. It was no secret that James Harden was rallying for Dan Antoni to get that job in the event that Doc Rivers were to leave and go elsewhere. Obviously, that didn't happen. He is still the head coach of the 76ers. But I'm interested, you have a guy who has a player-coach relationship that did not seem to have any type of chemistry. They were on two separate pages. Doc Rivers did not seem to know how to even utilize James Harden in a lot of the right situations at a lot of the right times. Does that fix itself, or is that relationship something that you're very worried about going into next season simply because they're two totally different styles of people and that results in two totally different styles of viewing the game. Um, I'll say this. I watched James Harden play basketball under Steve Nash, you know, and, and I think Doc Rivers is a different category of head coach. Listen, when, when James Harden got traded, I believe one of the first things he said was, you know, who wouldn't want to be coached by someone like Doc Rivers? And obviously acquiring someone in the middle of the season is going to be growing pains, right? You have to learn somebody on the fly. That's why I think this training camp is going to be so important for them. You're going to have everybody getting on the same page. I'm not necessarily worried about the relationship. I I am worried a bit about the narrative about Doc Rivers. And it's not really just a narrative. I mean, he struggled in the playoffs at times, right? He's got one ring with the Boston Celtics. But other than that, what what has he done in terms of leading teams to a championship, right? I think he, in many ways, he's kind of on trial, right? If he can't get this team over the hump this year, I wouldn't be surprised to see him gone. Uh, but I do think that we're going to see them work some of the kinks in that relationship out this offseason in training camp. And I think they're going to have a strong start to the season. Chris, I want to ask you, while I still have you, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the New York Knicks. My New York Knicks, who, you know, tend to be the bane of my existence in the sports world. Um, Jalen Duran had a very nice showing again um in the summer league the Detroit pistons he played 12 minutes nine points one rebound so very impressive for such a short amount of time i made no secret about drastically desperately wanting Jalen duran in a new york knicks uniform i had him for about 25 seconds and then he was ripped away from me i want to ask is this something that the knicks are going to regret obviously they just paid mitchell robinson four years 60 million dollars christian was very critical of that contract said "Mm, seems a little high for someone of mitchell robinson's caliber obviously jericho sims is supposed to be the version of Jalen duran but do you think the knicks missed the mark or not keeping him or trying to keep him I'm going to be real. I'll admit this. And and I wonder if Christian feels the same way, just as someone that covers the NBA and does it really intensely for a full, you know, season. It's really difficult to cover the league and pay really close attention to the draft prospects as well. I know that there's a lot of video. There's a lot of, uh, kind of investigating that other people do of these players and, you know, how they play and what systems they play, who they're playing against. I don't even try to pretend that I get a chance to do both. I'm I'm so kind of wrapped in the NBA (laughs) during the season. Now, what I will say is that the Knicks made a gamble. Time will tell whether it was a smart one or not about the fact that they wanted to open up cap space for Jalen Brunson. They also wanted to try to 
collect more assets for the possibility of, you know, in the future being able to trade for a star. So that was the choice they made. Uh, it was interesting to see in what people thought to be a pretty strong draft to watch them trade down repeatedly. So it absolutely could burn them. There probably will be someone lower down in the draft that they passed on or chose not to use a pick on that will be really, really good. And like clockwork, we'll hear Stephen A and everybody else criticize the fact that the Knicks did that. When someone kind of like a Donovan Mitchell kind of, you know, is better than a lot of people were assuming he would be, that will be a criticism that will be lobbed at the Knicks and other teams too, but at the Knicks most loudly. And that's something that they always have to be prepared for. Um, but we can't really judge any of this until we see what do the Knicks cash in all these assets that they have? What is it? Nine first rounders they have over the next four or five years or something like that until yeah, they cash those in for something. It, 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 what, we will see then what they use it for. If there's not a, a worthwhile player to use it for, or if they use it on a player where it's not really worth it, then we can criticize it openly, whether Jalen Duran is good or not, because they still could have used it on somebody else, if not him. You know, Christian, Jalen Duran, obviously NBA ready physically. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of things that he needs to improve on in his game, like most rookies do. But Mitchell Robinson was a, a player that Knicks fans were on the fence about. I being one of them that was on the opposite side of the fence of a lot of other Knicks fans. I was okay with letting him walk if Jalen Duran fell into our lap, which he did went ahead and, and traded him to be part of that Jalen Brunson package. You went ahead and traded Jalen Duran to go ahead and go to Detroit and pay Mitchell Robinson. Is that something that you would have done? And how are you feeling about it in hindsight? You know, I, I, I'm not too mad about the deal as long as we see some maturation in Mitchell Robinson's game. Mm. Um, I think he's got that frame and the size and the athleticism. We see he jumps out the gym. He can block floaters that are going above the backboard. We know what type of, of talent he is. But can he stay on the floor? Can he stay out of foul trouble? Can he make the advanced reads as a big man that you kind of have to be able to make uh, just to stay on the floor? Um, so it, it's interesting. To Chris's point, you know, it's difficult to have your tabs on a specific team all year long and then also be watching college basketball to know who's coming up. So I haven't watched too much of, of Jalen Duran. I'm kind of taking what you've said, and you've been significantly impressed with him. Um, well, so I interviewed just... him at, the, at Memphis. I interviewed him, and I was impressed even back then with his build. I just yeah. alone, his, his physicality for someone so young, it looked like he had been in the weight room in an NBA facility for at least four years. I mean, the yeah. guy is huge, and he's, he's a talent. Again, not perfect. Nobody in the draft is perfect. Everyone needs to go ahead and improve some way, shape, or form. But just like you, Mitchell Robinson, for everything that he brings – I'm concerned about the things that he doesn't bring and the speed in which he has has effectively gotten better at them. I haven't seen that happen fast enough. And then also, you know, I've spoken about this. I'm a little bit worried about his maturity off the court. There's been a lot of instances where, you know, there's subliminal messaging, whether it's in his Instagram stories and his tweets and you know, a young team, it's very easy to go in the opposite direction. And I don't want to see them become Twitter fingers. I want to keep all your fingers on the ball for when it counts, when we need you to go ahead and win games. If he can do that, I'm very excited for him to prove me wrong. I hope that he does. So, you, you know, I've seen some of those Instagram posts where the, the, the next the Knicks will have just lost by like 20. And he's on Instagram on his stories talking about, well, I had five blocks in the game. So I did what I'm right. supposed to do. That's not what you want to see from your from your starting 
starting center or your, your franchise centerpiece at that position. But at the same time, I think the Knicks are hoping that he develops and matures over these next couple of years. Because I think if you have a Mitchell Robinson with his head on straight, you know, that's a starting caliber center for, for the next six, seven years. I'm more concerned about Jalen Brunson. Right, and whether that was the right decision to make at your point guard, and whether or not the, the Knicks are actually building around him for the future, or if he's potentially a trade chip two years, a year from now, maybe if Donovan Mitchell becomes available. I still want to see Donovan Mitchell back in New York. He's, he's a hometown hero. We want to see him here. Um, I'm just not sold on Jalen Brunson as the guy who's going to carry the, the Knicks into the next because you guys don't want to be second round exit you guys want to be Eastern right. Conference Finals NBA Finals I'm just concerned that there's a ceiling on how good you can be with Jalen Brunson as your starting point guard and he's gonna have to prove me wrong Chris I want to ask you before I let you go I mean I was one of the people who were a little bit uh side-eyeing this move it seemed like you know not an you know, an asinine amount of money, but it seemed like a hefty paycheck for someone that we really only have one impressive season to gauge off of. And even in the playoffs, you know, after that first series, his points per game, you know, kind of fell down the ladder a little bit. But it was very interesting because the conversation, the narrative was Jalen Brunson is not the savior. He's not the savior. He's not going to be the one to bring a championship. He's not going to be the one to change this Knicks franchise around. But on the other side of that, it was almost treating him like the savior with all the things that were done behind the scenes to go ahead and make this happen, all the moving pieces, and ultimately paying a tampering fine for going ahead and getting him to New York. What what do you make of the whole saga? And did the Knicks do a little bit too much to get someone who's not even top 10 in his position? I think that, honestly speaking, the hype around it was significant. I think, you know, again, kind of involving Christian in this, it's the New York media market. There's twice as many newspapers as most major cities have in New York. Um, so there's a lot of people reporting about it. He was on a playoff team that was making a run that, you know, people were making note of the fact that the Knicks had some of their people at his games. <laughs> that That's happened before. That was complained about before when Kawhi Leonard was doing his thing. And, um, you know, and the Clippers had people at his games before. So it, I mean, that, that stuff has happened before. It gets more attention when it happens in New York. It always does. Mm. He's being paid like an average starting point guard, which seems like a lot considering that the Knicks haven't had really anybody worth a damn at the starting point guard in a decade. Uh, he's not a savior type player. I think all of us can look at him and say that he's got deficiencies. He's not great on defense. He's not really a traditional point guard. As far as distributing the ball, he was not the lead ball handler on his team. He was a backup point guard on his team. Um, so no, he's not a savior. He is someone that can take over for, for stretches. The, the truth here is that RJ Barrett's development is the most important thing in this franchise right now. And I would say the next most important thing is, a tie between figuring out what you're doing with Julius Randle and figuring out what you cash in all those chips on. Uh, if Absolutely. you don't handle those two things properly, the rest of it does not matter. You can talk about Jalen Brunson, 104 million, too much money, not enough money, too much doing too much going on behind the scenes to uh, attain him and obtain him. It, none of it will matter if they don't find a second or a third guy and figure out what they're doing with Randall or how to make him more comfortable. It, it, it is irrelevant. And, uh, and I feel like too much attention has been paid to Jalen Brunson when really he needs to be the first step in 
a series of things to get them to where you're talking about to be a, a conference finalist an NBA finalist. He's not, of course he's not the guy. And I think most of us can look at that, but I do feel like it's been a little bit overhyped just because it's the first time the Knicks have spent big in a while and spent big at that position in a long while. Listen, it's not being overpaid if that's what they're going to go ahead and offer you. That's the lesson of the day, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Chris Herring, thank you so much for joining us. As always, a pleasure speaking to you, and we will be back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The guests keep rolling in and we got another one. Rashad Phillips in the building. What's up? What's going on? Thank you so much for joining us. Our first time, my first time hosting, my first time with Christian hosting. How's it going? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. How y'all doing over there? We good. We're good. You know, I feel like I feel like we're we're getting through this our first time. We haven't had any mishaps, no cuss words. Christian, you know, glasses haven't fallen off. His mic hasn't gone dead. (laughs) I feel like we're in a good space. Yeah, (laughs) hit our stride. You know the vibes. Well, listen, guys. Speaking of good spaces, Summer League is officially upon us. It's hot in Vegas, but it's even hotter on the court because we're seeing a lot of the young stars, the future of the NBA showing out, the Detroit Pistons. Shout out to Rashad's hometown. What up, though? Shout out to the Pistons. Right. Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran are showing out nine points for Duran in 12 minutes. He was limited to just 12. But Jaden Ivey showed out 20 points, six assists, six rebounds, and also got to move on to the Orlando Magic because the Italian Stallion, my fellow Italian, Paolo Banchero, had 17 points, six assists, four rebounds. Listen, it's just beginning. There's a whole lot of basketball left to be played out in Vegas. But Rashad, what are you making of what you saw on opening day? I'm, I'm very excited. I always love summer league because if, if, if the players finally get to get on the court and, and put on somewhat of the uniform with the name representing them, you know, living out their dreams and, uh, you know, watching the Pistons, the very first play of the game, they run an alley-oop play for Jaden Ivey to Durham, and that was just a fantastic moment. And obviously watching Paolo um, get, grace the court for the first time and, and, and really watching all the things that we've been seeing at what they do in college and, and be able to translate that to the professional level um, under that type of those type of bright lights, uh, you, you get to see what these rookies are made of early and often. You know, when you Rashad, say Paolo, you got to say it like Paolo. Paolo Paolo. I got it. <laughs> Rashad, you know, this is obviously, people are talking about this draft. You got Paolo, you got Chet, you got uh, Jabari in the top three. Can can you kind of give us, who's the, who's the guy that didn't go top three that you think maybe should be in that conversation or has been overlooked and, and has something to prove in summer league? And uh, I mean, this has been a, a, a really good draft class. I mean, let's let's start with I like I like Johnny Davis. I mean, I, I really like him. I mean, his ability to put the ball on the floor and score it. He obviously was a Big Ten 
you know, player of the year. He can really, really score the ball. I, I think he has some ability um, that will translate early and often. You look at uh, Mark Williams, who was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets, um, led the college season in dunks, high percentage guy, um, rim protector, um, just an excellent interior presence. I think he's going to be uh, fantastic for the Charlotte Hornets. And Benedict Matherin, um, drafted yeah. six. Um by the Indiana Pacers uh, out of University of Arizona. I know he he, he has some some Twitter headlines for calling out LeBron James, but this mm. this kid is this kid can really play the game. Um, six 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 seven, uh, great athlete, two way two way type of player. I think he's going to be a great addition for the Indiana Pacers. I mean, I can go on for days of the kids that's been drafted out of the top three. And, and you know, Ashley brought it up talking about Jaden Ivey. You know, going five to the Pistons. This is going to be a, a really fun class to follow for years to come. Speaking of LeBron, it's interesting you bring him up because 12 years ago to this date was the infamous decision where LeBron oh. took his talents to South Beach <laughs> and went yeah. ahead and formed that big three in Miami. They went on to win two titles and changed the atmosphere of the NBA for multiple years. It was the era of those super teams, guys teaming up, to go ahead and win quote unquote guaranteed championships. Now that era is starting to, to dwindle. We spoke about it, Christian and I, and I spoke about it specifically with the Memphis Grizzlies, how that is a team that really got it out the mud. They drafted well, they, you know, free agency well, and now they're seeing the, the benefits of doing it the quote unquote hard way come to light. Yeah. We saw that. In Detroit, we saw that in Cleveland. We've, yeah. We're seeing that around the league. And having this major talent go to these smaller markets, you look at Chet and OKC, you look at Jaden and Jalen in Detroit, if you want to consider that a smaller market, the less sexier markets are now more relevant than ever before. Do you agree that the era of the super teams is kind of falling by the wayside? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going down, Ashley, and I'm going to tell you why. One of the reasons is that the talent pool is much better coming into the draft now. So you mm -hmm. can get better players later on in the draft, and these guys are, are helping out. You know, you brought up the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, this is a team that just has drafted well. Look, I won't even bring up John Morant. Like, they drafted Desmond Bain at the end of the first round, what, beginning of the second round. I mean, so teams are starting to understand how important the draft process is and that you can get a quality player later on in the draft that can contribute right away and that's what's taking shape you look at the golden state warriors they've done it through the draft as well you look at the players that they've drafted they got wiseman they got kaminga and and uh this year they got patrick baldwin and they got ryan rollins out of toledo teams that draft well are the teams that don't need free agency in order to really bring a championship and have success. And, why do you know, think that these, why do either one of you, I'll pose this question to both, Christian, you could take this first. Why do you think this younger generation of players is not running, are not running from getting it out the mud? They're not interested in joining super teams. They're interested in going to smaller markets and quote unquote, less sexier markets and really going through the trials and tribulations of building up that franchise, representing that city and seeing that work come to fruition later on, they're not running from it. And if anything, they want that. They're looking for it. And it's a cool time in the NBA because now you have a bunch of different teams that at any given moment can be contenders and can be in the running and can cause 
upsets. Yeah, you know, I, I think back to the matchup between the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Lakers last season where you had Luka seeking out that matchup with LeBron over and over and over again and really just exposing him on the defensive end. I think we're seeing a changing of the guard here where you've got these new young guys who are just so far beyond their years that the old heads have no choice but to respect them, right? They're coming out here and commanding that respect because they've put the work in. And uh, Rashad, you can speak to this. I think that's where that confidence comes from. You've got players in summer league. I mean, we talked about Benedict Matherin over here talking about, hey, I want to lock up LeBron. LeBron can't score on me. I mean, you don't get that confidence unless you put the requisite level of work in. I think that's where it all comes from. I think I, I think, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but I think it's now we're we're in the in the generation of impatience. These kids aren't patient to wait for their turn. They they want they want now. They don't want mm. next, and mm. that's what we're seeing with you know with the Ja Morants and the Lucas and the Trey Youngs and the Jason Tatum's. These guys are not waiting until the next crop of guys retire. They're not waiting for Durant to retire and LeBron to retire and say, okay, now it's my league. These guys are coming into the league and saying, I'm going to take mine right now. And whoever I have to go through, um, I'm willing to accept that challenge and do it. That's what we're watching. Right. You you know, Rashad, I have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously we call you Yoda because you just happen to see things but before they play out. I'm wondering Wait a you, second, so do I, but you don't call me Yoda. No, you, you demand to be called Astrodamus. We're not going down that road today. That is today. true. Um, okay. Yoda, question <laughs> for you. Um, who's the best player in this draft and why? Who's the, the number one player that you think 10 years from now will be the best player that came out of this draft class? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to be Captain Obvious here, um, but really it is Paolo. Paolo... I think he is the player that in 10 years, we're going to look back and say, Orlando got it right. Um, Mm. I mean, he is, uh, to me, a a player that can do a little bit of everything. He reminds me of a mix of of Michael Beasley and Ben Simmons. He's kind of that arch type. He has some scoring. He has some great defensive prowess. He's big. He's 6'10". He's strong. And he just understands the professional game. Um, comes from good crop. And I just believe just watching, you know, glimpses of him in summer league, you, you saw glimpses of how special he could be. The, that, that Orlando Magic roster still needs to get better. Um, but in 10 years, I believe he's the player that we're going to look back on and say, hey, tremendous player. And that's no slight to the other players. I think Jabari is great. I think Keegan Murray is great. I think Chet's great. I, I think all these guys are, are great players. But Paolo will be the one that we sit back and say, excellent pick, Orlando. Right. One more question before I let you go. Of all the teams that drafted the first 10 picks in the first round, which team is the team to watch with all the young talent, all the moves yeah. made, not only this season, free agency, last season, yeah. everything, you know, taking it all into consideration. What is the team that the other teams got to look out for? So I'm going to be a homer here, but it's, it's real. I'm going to go with my Detroit Pistons. I mean, look at what Troy Weaver has been able to do the last couple of years in the draft. I mean, he got he got dual forward in Kay Cunningham. He got Isaiah Stewart. You you, you get you get Jaden Ivey. You get big Jalen Duran, And you get Sadiq Bey. You know, like, you, you think of those five players in itself. Like, they, they're going to give teams a run for their money for the next three or four years. 
I believe Kay Cunningham is the ghost of Grant Hill. Um, he makes people around him better. He, he, he can excite the crowd. You love playing with him. He has that magnetism. So the Detroit Pistons, my hometown Detroit Pistons, <laughs> is the team that you need to watch. Listen, you got to deal with me one time. Detroit basketball. <laughs> Not going to get me to say that. Sorry. Uh. Uh, listen, I got a lot of love for the city of Detroit. They showed me nothing but love when I was out there. So shout out to Detroit Motor City. Rashad, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for pulling we'll up. Right I appreciate back, you, guys. man. Talk soon. My God. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I clearly believe we'll be moving to a streaming service. Uh, I think that's best for the consumers at this stage. Um, but we have so much interest right now, and there's so much innovation around that and how we're going to be able to change the way people watch football. And I think um, we'll probably have some decision by the fall. Woo! Listen, Sunday Ticket and the NFL Direct TV, they're all heading for a divorce. Christian, hearing that the NFL is going to be heading to a streaming service potentially what do you make of that? Shout out Amazon, shout out Apple Plus. It's all it's about to be a bidding war. Listen, who is paying for cable anymore these days? This is where the future is headed. Everything needs okay, <laughs> yeah, sure, you're paying for cable. I have all the I'll, streaming services too though. So like Exactly. I'm so so you doubled bases. up. Me, I'd rather up. not if I can have one or the other, I'd rather have the streaming service. Listen, Cable is cool, but you got to pay for the premium to have all your sports channels. I'd rather have the streaming service where I get exactly what I want a la carte. I think the NFL knows that, that, that that's where we're headed. Um, right. Smart move. Look at them being getting out in front of this thing. And I mean, it's a smart move, too, especially if you're trying to adhere to a younger demographic. Younger demographic, streaming, everything. Nothing is right. on cable. If it's on cable, we probably didn't see it, unless you're me and you actually have the Sunday ticket. <laughs> so... Moving on, my Dallas Cowboys in hot water, and that's not a pun because of the situation at hand. They partnered with Black Rifle Coffee Company, which was intended to support veterans first responders. However, there's a lot of things wrong with this partnership. For one, the coffee names are things like AK Espresso and Silencer oh Smooth, and again, Black Rifle Coffee Company, and given the recent shootings at Highland Park, and also in Uvalde, Texas, which is not that far from Dallas, it's very tone deaf from the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones. And I think they know that because they did not go ahead and speak to the media after practice today. Christian, what do you make of this? I mean, this is America's team, right? And, and lo and behold, this is what they do. If you could anticipate any team messing up this badly, I think we'd all pick the Dallas Cowboys. Shout out to your team, Ash. They just somehow, some way, find ways to get themselves in hot water. Very, very disappointed with my Dallas Cowboys. Hopefully they rectify this. You know, I'm a big advocate for gun reform. And given just tragedy after tragedy in this country, we just don't need our sports teams going ahead and shining any positive light on negative situations. And this right. is one of them. So 
Moving on from one negative situation to another, Vince McMahon is in hot water once again, as the Wall Street Journal has reported that he paid more than $12 million over the past 16 years to suppress allegations of sexual misconduct and infidelity, which is a larger number than previously reported last month regarding a $3 million settlement to a former employee who he allegedly had an affair with. There's also information out there that he coerced a wrestler into oral sex, demoted her, and then re refused to renew her contract. Is it time that Vince McMahon is thrown out of the ring in the W out of the WWE? I mean, clearly it's been time. I mean, I don't even remember the last time I heard Vince McMahon's name, let alone looked for him on Google or on TV. But now we're going to be looking for him to make sure that justice is served. So hopefully that's what ends up happening. Um, yes, to your question, it's time to, to pack pack him up, get him out of here. Pack him up for sure. And listen, Stephanie McMahon is doing a phenomenal job. Just give her the keys and let her handle things. You just this right. is just too much for even the WWE to sweep under the rug. But ending on a positive note, the San Jose Sharks have hired a black head coach. Is that correct? Giving us a reason to watch hockey? It is a black general GM. manager. I'm sorry, Mike general manager. Greer. Listen, the Sharks have already reached out to your boy and they're sending me a jersey with my name on the back. That is hospitality. Is that, right? that is a fact. Breaking news. That's how you win over some new fans. I am now a San Jose Sharks fan. And I believe that I am... You were just at a am... Rangers game. I'm confused. Listen, I'm going to be watching the Rangers play the Sharks. Stop playing. Listen, we're about to be... I think this is good for the NHL because you now have a black GM and this is going to... This is just a, a proof that, hey, look... Black people can thrive in hockey. We don't usually equate black athletes to hockey. Now you have that bridge. Now you're going to get more fans like myself involved. I think it's a win for the for the Sharks, a win for NHL, and a win for black people. Start playing. Speaking of a win for black people and black women, also shout out to the Las Vegas Raiders because they went ahead and hired a beautiful black woman to, I believe, be the president of their football club. So listen, I'm I'm... I'm loving all the diversity. I'm loving all the opportunity. And that's the end of our show. We we did it, Chris. We made we it. it. Yo, you love to see it. Look at that. I love, love to it. see it. Speaking of opportunity and color, here we are. <laughs> Fire. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.